The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Podcasting is a great way for professionals to tell their story. Find out how you can get started at pod617.com. Welcome to the Ask Harry podcast. This is Harry Margolis, and this is the podcast where we interview experts on all aspects of estate planning. In this episode of Ask Harry, Harry talks with Diane Savistano, founder and principal of Health Assist, on the subject of Medicare. Diane, thank you very much for joining me today. And today we're going to talk about the A, B, C, and Ds of Medicare. And uh, it's great that you're on, uh, partly for me personally, because I just turned 64, so I've got a, a year before I have to go on to Medicare, and uh, I have a lot to learn, even though I know the basic structure of how it works. Um, but why, why don't you start by maybe you can, the listeners may not know the, the basic structure, so why don't you uh, explain that? Okay, great. Well, I'm pleased that you're speaking to me about this when you're 64, so that we can be um, prepared for when you do turn 65. Um, the way that Medicare works is that there are various components of Medicare. Um, Medicare Part A is the component that pays for inpatient care. And so inpatient care includes care in an acute care hospital, say like a Mass General. It also includes care in an acute rehab setting, say like Spalding Rehab. Uh, And it includes care in a skilled nursing facility, a place that you might go to for short-term rehab. It covers hospice care and a little bit of home care. And Medicare Part A doesn't cost you anything because Mm -hmm. you've paid into it. Um, So when you enroll, when the time comes, and we can talk about that, um, you won't have to pay a premium for that. Medicare Part B is the component that pays for outpatient care. So that includes things like your physician visits, physical therapy, diagnostic testing, x-rays, maybe some durable medical equipment. Really, most of the health care that we uh, use comes from outpatient care. And there is um, a premium associated with Medicare Part B, uh, and that premium is $144.60 a month, um, and that just recently was raised for 2020. So that's not based on your income? I thought that that there was a graduated um, premium for Part B. So for those individuals who have the fortunate circumstance of finding themselves in categories called higher income beneficiary categories, Mm -hmm. there are thresholds of income. Uh, that if you fall into those thresholds, you do have to pay an additional premium on your Part B and Part D when we get to it. So um, one of the things that we have to look at is whether or not you file your taxes individually or um, as a couple. Mm -hmm. And then the way that that premium or extra premium gets assessed um, is if your income, the threshold is 170000 uh, If you make less than that, um, then you don't have to pay any additional. Mm-hmm. And then there are certain categories uh, whereby you would pay significantly, could be paying significantly more. That's called an IRMA. It's an income-related monthly adjustment amount. <laughs> and so right. what, what happens is when you do enroll in Medicare, you actually enroll via Social Security. Social Security looks at your tax returns, but they look from two years ago. Mm-hmm. So in 2020, they would be looking at your tax returns from 2018 and determining whether or not you would have an IRMA assessed onto your Part B premium. So even if you had retired in between, you're still going to have to, may have to pay that higher premium. That's right. Okay. Well, that's too bad, depending on the circumstances. They do look at it every year. Uh-huh. And so what happens to a lot of people who retire is their income 
drops off precipitously. Yeah, right. <laughs> and so uh, they're pleased to hear that um, they're always looking back two years. So eventually that Irma could potentially lower and mm-hmm. or go away completely. But there might be a two-year lag. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Now I understand that if you have so-called credible, creditable coverage, you don't necessarily have to sign up for Medicare Part B. Is that right? That's true. So if you are employed and you have employer-sponsored coverage, it's important to maybe look at what, what the ramifications would be if you signed up for Medicare or not, but you're not required as long as your employer um, is um, has greater than 20 employees. If you're less than 20 employees, you are required to sign up for Medicare. So if you have creditable coverage, um, you can indeed continue uh, on your employer-sponsored plan. Then there's always a question about, well, should I, co- should I enroll in some component of Medicare? And um, I would say that there's a lot of pressure. You'll see a lot of marketing materials, and everyone gets a little nervous about, oh, my, my goodness, I need to enroll. Um, there are um, – so generally, we recommend that people enroll in Medicare Part A – during what's called their initial enrollment period, which is the three months before the month of or three months after you turn 65. Mm -hmm. And Part A, remember, pays for the inpatient component. And the way that that would work if you had creditable coverage through your employer is Part A would sit behind your employer-sponsored coverage Mm -hmm. and act as secondary coverage. So, God forbid, you had major hospital-related bills and um, there are leftover amounts that are not paid for under your employer plan, you might be able to have Medicare pay for portions of that. So generally, that's what we've done in the past. However, over the last 10 years, there has been a real change in uh, the way employer-sponsored plans are structured. And so in the event that you happen to participate in a high deductible... I was just thinking about that when you're talking. (laughs) A high deductible plan and you contribute to an HSA account, um, you cannot participate in Medicare if you have a health savings account. There would be some tax ramification down Mm -hmm. the line. So we always ask the question up front as to what the employer-sponsored coverage is um, what it is, what how it's structured, whether or not you participated in an HSA account. And if you do... But if you don't, if you're not in an HSA account, but you are in a high deductible plan, then then can you combine that with Medicare? You could still have, you could still enroll in Medicare Part A and there would mm-hmm. be no tax implication. Um, and again, it would sit behind your employer-sponsored plan. So you have to really dig into the detail. One of the things I always say about Medicare is there is an exception to every rule. And so as you're reading about it and as you're receiving these materials, you wonder what category you fit into, but you really have to look um, at every individual as an individual in their circumstance. Wow. So, um, so, so you have to, you may or may not have to sign up for part B. So we were just talking about part A, right? right? So, so you almost certainly sign up for part A unless you're in that one exception. That's right. And yeah. you would defer um, signing up for Part B because um, if you have employer-sponsored coverage, creditable coverage, there's no reason to sign up for B. And remember, you're going to have to pay when you sign up for B, and you might have to pay an additional amount uh-huh. when you sign up for B if indeed you fall into those higher income beneficiary categories. So we often will defer that um, signing up for B until such time as you retire or leave your employment. Um, It is important, though, sometimes to do an analysis of the situation. And let me give you an example. So if you work for an employer and have employer-sponsored coverage, 
um, but you have to contribute um, quite a bit to that coverage. Mm-hmm. Um, and every employer plan is different. Um, doing the actual analysis to say what would it cost if I came off the employer-sponsored plan and went on to Medicare, if, if you don't have those additional IRMA amounts, you can achieve actually very good coverage at very reasonable amounts on, on Medicare. So doing an apples-to-apples apples comparison is important. So I have a question about creditable coverage because I understand that if you, um, if you stay on your employer-sponsored plan and then five years later you retire and you go off of it, you have to prove that you've had credible coverage, otherwise you're gonna have a higher premium, is that right? That's right. So there's a very specific process that you go through to enroll in Medicare Part B when the time arises. So say you are going to retire, there are two forms that are located on the Social Security website. One you have to complete, and the other is has to be completed by your employer. And some of the questions on that form are, how, um, when did this person start working? How, uh, when did their insurance start? Uh, did it stop yet? Um, and so Social Security will match up all of those dates to be sure that, um, indeed, from the time you turn 65 during your initial enrollment period that you said no to Part B, up until the point that you are applying for Part B, that indeed you are proving that you have creditable coverage through this form that your employer is completing. Now, again, nuance is there. So um, if you are 70, um, you could have had three employers from Mm -hmm. the time you turned 65. So you have to have that form completed by all three employers. So you, it, it's not that hard. There's a standard process, but a lot of people are just not aware of it. And you just have to get the, the firms to do that. Yes, and most HR representatives are well aware of these forms. And so um, that's usually who you have complete them. Mm-hmm. And then I highly recommend that you hand carry them into your local Social Security mm-hmm. office and interact with someone. You can, you can mail them. Yeah. Um, but... Um, I've had people put them in uh, drop boxes and they've been lost. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had people mail them and, and they've been lost. So I highly recommend that you hand carry them and interact with an individual at the Social Security office. Um, there's a very- and, and I assume keep a copy? Oh, yes. And maybe can you get them to sign a receipt saying they received it? I'm not? not sure that they do that. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. I haven't gone with anybody, <laughs> okay. but I, I don't, I'm not sure that they do that. Um, but there's other things that you can do. So there is a means by which you can set up your own My Social Security account. Mm-hmm. So on the Social Security website, um, if, if you're going to enroll just in A or you're going to enroll in A and B at the same time, you can do that online. Mm-hmm. But before... You're allowed to do that on the My, on the Social Security website. You have to create a My Social Security account. But once you set one of those up and say you have um, gone to the local Social Security office and submitted your Part B forms, you're able to sort of track uh, on the My Social Security website uh, the processing of that app application. It takes about two to three weeks for the um, administrative process to happen. And the next thing that happens is you get a notice in the mail um, from Social Security saying, indeed, you've been enrolled in Part B. There's a component on the form. There's a section there where, where I often have people describe what it is that they're doing. So, for example, um, I am retiring effective 3-1-2020. I am applying for Part B, and my employer-sponsored coverage is coming to an end. Uh I am applying for Medicare Part B to be effective on Mm 3-1-2020. And so you're being really clear about... um, Or if you are continuing to work, but but you're not 
keeping the employer-sponsored health care, you just write that down. Exactly. You yeah. might say, um, you know, I have remained um, on an employer-sponsored plan to this point in time. Um, my employer-sponsored plan is coming to an end effective. I want my Part B to be effective mm-hmm. a certain date. Uh-huh. Okay. And I have to say that in all the years I've been doing this, um, it, as long as those forms are completed correctly, and I'm very fastidious and, and about it's all, them. And it's all online. Uh, no, not oh, the no. Part B forms. Oh, okay. Those, the forms are there, but you have to you have to then submit them to um, to uh, Social Security. The online see this okay. is why there are all these okay. exceptions. So, so we we create the My Social Security account, mm-hmm. and then uh, with three months or so before um, your birthday, sixty fifth birthday, mm-hmm. you what can you do online, and what do you have to walk in? <laughs> You can enroll in Medicare Part A only online. Oh, okay. You can enroll in Medicare A and B together online. It is when you decouple A from B, uh-huh. you can enroll in A online, but when you go to enroll in B, that's when you have to submit the forms. If you're not doing it at the same time. Correct. But if you do it at the same time, you maybe never have to walk into a Social Security that's office. Right. Yeah. Okay. And that's going to be my case because my company has fewer than 20 employees. That's so right. I don't have the option of staying staying on my company plan. That's right. Okay, good. So, of course, not, this is already complicated, but, um, but I know there's Part C and D and Medigap. And, right. And C and Medigap are kind of associated in a way because, um, oh, you're shaking your head. People can't, listening can't see that. <laughs> That's how I see it. But anyways, so, but Medicare has its own co-payments and deductibles, right? So, so let's just finish the components. Okay. So we talked about A and we talked yeah. about B. So inpatient care, outpatient care. Um, in 2006, uh, at that, before 2006, um, prescription drugs were not covered under Medicare. Right. So in 2006, the legislation was enacted to allow us to purchase what's called Part D prescription drug plans, and we purchase those from private insurance companies. Now, the way that you decide um, which best Part D plan to choose is not through those marketing materials that come your way. (laughs) Um, Fortunately, there is an algorithm on the Medicare website that starts by putting in your zip code because the plans that you're eligible for are all um, related to the zip code in the county Mm -hmm. that you live in. So you start out your analysis by putting in the zip code, and then you have to put in some more data. Um, But the specific data that's really important is the um, actual medications that you take Mm -hmm. at the dosages at which you take them and how often you take them. And so once you put that information in, you also have to put in your preferred pharmacy. And so the algorithm um, will sort the plans, if you press the right buttons, mm-hmm. we'll sort the plans in order of least expensive to most expensive, but not just taking into consideration the premium because that's not where the high costs necessarily come in. Mm-hmm. The high costs come in from the out-of-pocket expenses that you also incur as a result of obtaining your prescriptions. Uh, this year, almost all of the plans have deductibles of $435. So on Per top- year. Per year. Okay. So on top of your premium, you also have to meet your deductible in order for the plan to kick in. And then based on the actual medications that you take, this part works very similarly to employer-sponsored coverage in that each of the medications that you take falls into certain tiers of Mm -hmm. drugs, Mm -hmm. whether they are generic or brand-name drugs. 
based on the tier, um, you will, uh, once you meet the deductible, you'll still have to pay certain amounts. Mm-hmm. However, <laughs> there is something called a coverage gap. Yeah. It uh, used to be known it as the a donut, donut hole. hole. <laughs> right. Remember that? <laughs> okay. So what that is, is um, as you are obtaining your medications over the course of the year, the full cost of your medications is being accrued. And once you reach a particular threshold, which is approximately, I'm forgetting the actual yeah. threshold right now, I believe yeah. it's around $3,500 this year because it's changed. Yeah. When you reach that threshold and until you get to about now that's thirty five hundred that you pay, or that the drugs cost. The drugs cost the actual so, okay. amount is it's around four thousand okay. dollars, as a matter of fact. Um, so the, um, the the full cost of the drug. So um, and so between four and six thousand dollars, there are different levels of coverage, mm-hmm. and then after around six thousand dollars, catastrophic coverage kit kicks in and pays about ninety five percent of your drug costs. Mm-hmm. Now that sounds complicated and it it is Um, and I think very confusing for consumers but when you uh, the algorithm will play that all out for you okay so that you can see exactly what you're going to need to pay um, before the deductible once you've met your deductible in the coverage gap and if you meet catastrophic coverage. So you can just add that up and see what the cost would be for the different policies or different companies. So it, it, it sorts it yeah. Um, so that you're looking at the plan that is taking into consideration all of that and and telling you what the least expensive is to the most expensive. Mm-hmm. But you have to dig a little deeper, too, um, because other things that are important is to be sure that all of your medications are covered. It tells you that. It also tells you whether or not you'll have any, again, administrative um, processes that you need to do in order to obtain your prescriptions. For example, do you need to get prior authorization um, for a particular medication? Are there limits on the amount of medication you can get? Is there something called step therapy? So it gives you all of that information um, actually on the website, on, on the algorithm. But it's, it's, it's quite confusing. Yeah, the other well, it's thing complicated. You have to, yeah. yeah, the other thing that is important to pay attention to is... Um, the pharmacy that you use, there can be uh, tremendous differences because they negotiate different pricing. Mm-hmm. And so um, if people tell me one pharmacy, I always put in a competing pharmacy as uh-huh. well. And sometimes, especially we just came through open enrollment season, um, I will be recommending that people change plans. Sometimes I'll say, well, if you if you don't want to change plans, then maybe you should change pharmacies because you could have a $500 over a, you know, a year savings mm-hmm. if you switch, for example. So what, what is the open enrollment period? So open enrollment is for people who are already on Medicare and they have an opportunity to change or make different choices um, every year between uh, the 15th of October and December 7th. Um, So any changes that you might make to the plans that you've chosen in the past will go into effect the first of the year um, of 2020, say, for this year. If you don't do anything, will it just renew for the following year? It will. That's good. Yeah. So we talked about, so we talked about A, B, and D. Right. 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 Okay. And uh, um, was it gonna, I was going to ask something else about uh, D, but uh, I forget what it is now. So, okay. So why don't you tell, tell us about uh, C? So, um, so C is called uh, Medicare Advantage Plans. And again, um, you get inundated with materials about all of these plans, and it's really hard to discern one from another. 
So in the in the nineteen late nineteen eighties, early nineteen nineties, when the managed care movement was coming about for us in employer sponsored plans, there was also uh, an effort to look at Medicare recipients, and at that time. Um, Preventive care was not covered by Medicare. And so private insurance companies proposed to take Medicare recipients and have them enroll in, at the time it was called Medicare Plus Choice Plans, now it's called Medicare Advantage Plans. And so you can choose to enroll in one of those plans, and it is in lieu of your traditional A, B, and D, because the um, prescription drug coverage has now been bundled in. Mm-hmm. But the way that these plans work is that you are electing to enroll in um, a managed care plan. So it's either an HMO plan or a PPO plan. Mm-hmm. So and so, so if say it's Blue Cross Blue Shield, I don't know if they offer this, but if they do, you work through them rather than working through Medicare plus whatever the Part D. Um, plan is. That's right. I always say, think of the federal government as your insurance company. If you're on mm-hmm. A and B, um, your D is always from a private insurance company, mm-hmm. and all the Medicare Advantage plans are from private insurance companies. Mm-hmm. Um, there, uh, again, the devil is in the detail of these yeah. plans. So um, some of them have no, so even if you elect to be on a, in a Medicare Advantage plan, you always have to still pay your Part B premium mm-hmm. and your IRMA if you have one, income-related monthly adjustment amount. And if you have an IRMA on your Part D, which you could, Mm -hmm. you still have to pay that. Okay. But if you look at the Medicare Advantage plans, they range anywhere from costing nothing additional Mm -hmm. for many of those the HMO plans to costing upwards of $200 a month for some of the PPO plans. Mm -hmm. But there's a major difference between the way these plans work. So if you're on traditional Medicare, it's basically the old fashioned fee for service. You know, you have um, a service and Medicare gets billed and and they they get paid. Um, And you might have, well, we didn't talk about the Medigap plans yet, right, but we'll yeah, have to maybe, talk about those. Yeah. Um, but in, in um, so you you pretty much know how things are going to go um, under your uh, Medicare Advantage plans. Uh, there are there may be a deductible, so you have mm-hmm. to pay attention to that. Okay. Um, so uh, and then there are individual co-pays and co-insurance amounts as you access care. So these are the out-of-pocket expenses that I feel like sometimes people are not terribly aware of. Mm-hmm. So it, they might not be that much. They might be, you know, 10 to 15 to $20 for a primary care visit. And you don't have that on traditional Medicare. That's right. Okay. You don't have co-pays. Um, mm-hmm. they're, it's structured differently. Yeah. Um, so you might have co-pays. You might have co-insurance amounts. Um, and so that's, say, you have an MRI and you have to pay 20% of that MRI. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what's what I feel like, and, and again, you wouldn't have to pay that with traditional Medicare, but you might with Medicare Advantage. Well, we didn't talk about the Medigap plans on right. average. We'll do, yeah, we'll, we'll have too. to go back to that yeah. because um, I think I need to compare more apples to apples if I can. But uh, under the Medigap, excuse me, under the Medicare Advantage plans, I think my concern always is that people are not appreciative of the out-of-pocket expenses that they that they will incur as they're accessing care. So I call it more a pay-as-you-go plan. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it, and there are some expensive so, items. So if you're pretty healthy. You may be better off with Medicare Advantage, but if you're incurring a lot of or spending a lot of time with the medical profession, then you may not want it. 
Um, that it, it's about a good rule of thumb or not. It's about it's about choice. Yeah. Um, I think I'm a little bit biased <laughs> okay. about um, preferring A, B, supplement, and D, um, but for other reasons. So think about your HMO and your PPO plans that you might have as an employer. Um, if you're in a strict HMO plan, you have to designate a primary care physician. Mm-hmm. You have to um, uh, get referrals if you want to see specialists mm-hmm. um, and you have an established network and you have no coverage outside of that network. So if people really want choice, that's not a good option for mm-hmm. them. So what's attractive to them is the lack of premium, yeah. but the devil's in the details of those administrative processes. You might have to get more prior approvals um, before you obtain testing. Um, So I always recommend that if you're going to look at those, you really should read that very thick evidence of coverage booklet um, (laughs) that really outlines the parameters of that particular plan. Now, a PPO plan is a little bit more liberal in that you don't you don't necessarily have to designate a primary care physician. You may or may not have to get a referral. Um, and you do have an out-of-network benefit. However, you should pay attention to that because if indeed you're going to access out-of-network care, yes, you may have a benefit. Um, but if you really analyze those out-of-pocket costs, you may be better off with um a, B, supplement, and D. And that mm-hmm. kind of leads us to talk about the supplement So before plans. we get into that, which mm-hmm. maybe we should have done before we got to C, but um, tell me a little bit more about your company and what services you offer. So we do all this analysis for people. So um, early on in our- And your pro- company's called Health Assist. That's right, it's Health Assist. So when we work with individuals, we have a series of questions that we have them ask. Uh, Uh, answer for us. And what we're getting at is, uh, importantly, is what is someone's health status? Because what I'm always trying to predict when I put my clinical hat on, because as you know, I used to be a nurse, um, I'm always trying to predict how people are going to use their health insurance going forward. Because um, as you use health insurance, you want to uh, consider accessibility. You certainly want to consider cost. So if you are a heavy utilizer, that puts you into a different category than someone who maybe sees your primary care physician once a year. So we ask about your health status. We ask about the specific medications that you take. We ask about where you tend to access your care. If you um, say, you know, I only want to go to X hospital and I only want to go to X doctor, um, well, that's important if we're going to look at Medicare Advantage plans because what if that hospital and doctor are not in their networks? Mm-hmm. We also ask about travel plans. Um, If you are going to be retired and you're going to spend a good chunk of the year, say, in another state, um, well, an HMO plan is not going to work for you because if you need to access care, you'll have no coverage, except if it's an emergency, and hopefully that wouldn't happen, but you wouldn't have coverage outside of the state. We ask about people's preferences. Um, A lot of people will say, I want as much choice as possible. Mm -hmm. I want to see any doctor that um, I want to see. Um, So we ask a whole series of questions, and then we do the analysis of what might be most appropriate for them. So to your point, if we have an individual who is a very high utilizer of healthcare with um, a risk, a potential risk of being hospitalized, uh, we probably would have them, um, may have them go in a different direction from the Medicare Advantage plans because Mm -hmm. um, if you truly do the cost-benefit analysis, you might be, actually have less cost with a plan that's more expensive up front, um, but because you're a heavy utilizer, um, it actually overall might be less expensive. 
So we do all that analysis, and then we guide you through the process of enrollment, and um, and then we you know are in touch with you every year as open enrollment season uh-huh. comes up. And you, so you can switch during open enrollment uh, period, but only during open enrollment period. Is that right? That's right. Yep. That's right. Thank you for listening to the Ask Carrie podcast. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends and colleagues. If you have questions about estate planning, you can find answers at askharry.info. And if you don't find your answer there, you can post a question and I will respond to it. You can also subscribe and listen to future episodes on iTunes. If you're interested in Harry's book, Get Your Ducks in a Row, The Baby Boomer's Guide to Estate Planning, please visit margolis.com. That's M-A-R-G-O-L-I-S.com. Ask Harry is a production of pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network.